On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be chatting about civil liberties. Right now, most people are willingly and happily or reasonably happily giving up a lot of their civil liberties. But what happens when this whole thing is over? How do we make sure that governments give them back? Because it doesn't always happen. We're going to talk to someone who wrote a great piece in the spec today about that very thing. We're also going to chat with a company that you know probably well if you've lived in Hamilton for any period of time, Kineski, the creator of the goalie pad way back in the 1920s. Uh, They have suddenly done a pivot here. They're still a hockey company, but they have done a pivot to help out with the coronavirus thing, and it's a great story about what they're doing and how they've done it. And we will talk about the Commonwealth Games bid. There is a twist in that as well. You've heard lots about Hamilton potentially being in the mix. Well, now there is a request to consider doing not the 2030 games, but the 2026 games, yet in light of what is going on. Is that even remotely possible or remotely advisable? We will talk about that as well. Stay tuned. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I don't have to tell you that there are a lot of things that are different in our world right now. A lot of changes in the way we do things. In Toronto, Mayor John Tory just put a got a bylaw passed today that will allow police to fine you if you're within two meters of someone else. Don't really know if that means your spouse or not, but regardless, I mean we're ta- we're in we are in weird, unusual, probably unprecedented times right now. And I think most people, for the most part, would say, yeah, I'm, I, I get it. I understand why we're doing this. I, I can go along with this. I see the need for some of these steps into what normally would be our civil liberties and our freedoms. They are probably necessary right now, I think most people would say. But what about when this is over? And that may be weeks or even months down the road. But what about when this is all over? Do we return to where we were just two or three or four weeks ago and where we have been for ever, seemingly? Or are we stepping into, without even really realizing it, a new world with more intrusions and more overreaches and a a, a time when... Government may not give back all of the power that it has taken away to fight this situation. Britt Morrison wrote a terrific piece. Uh, it's in the spec. It's at thespec.com right now. You can read it. I, I encourage you to do it. It's a very well thought out, very good, very thought-provoking piece. The headline is, let's not let civil liberties and privacy becomes, become victims of this pandemic. Britt joins us now. Britt, how are you tonight? Thanks. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate you doing this. It's a great piece because it's something I've been thinking about, and I'm glad someone put thought and word to to this. Um, <laughs> would you agree that probably right now most people are, under the circumstances we're in at this very moment, most people are okay with the changes and the rules and the restrictions the governments have put on people? Yeah, I think that probably right now most people are happy. Yeah, the decisions being made. Desperate times call for desperate measures, so everyone's exactly. like, "Okay, I'll, I, I can deal with this." That, that's a fair comment at this point, right? The, this is where things get interesting, though, because we're going to go through this, and we are going to come out the other side at some point. We don't know when. And you wrote this, and this was a line from your piece today: "Procedures established during states of emergency have an unfortunate habit of sticking around long after the emergency has concluded." Like what? When you when you say that, like what? What are you referring to? 
Um, so what I'm referring to when I talk about that is in previous times of crisis, um, a lot of the times the government has enacted um, various emergency procedures and laws. Um, but afterwards, they some of those laws kind of stick around. And so I think the best example is the Patriot Act after the 9-11 attacks. Um, it was introduced and it introduced a lot of um, abilities for the U.S. government to listen to people's calls and stuff like that. And um, everyone would recognize the Edward Snowden case. Um, and so he was actually um, calling into question some of the provisions in that act. Um, and some of them have been revoked. I think there was one that said that you know immigrants could be held for an indefinite amount of time without charge. That one was revoked a few years ago. But it's kind of that thing where we put in measures to combat a certain threat. This time it's a virus. Um, but afterwards, are there sunset clauses to those kinds of um, acts and what what sticks around? Because at the time, those things made sense. At the time, under emergency circumstances, you could make a compelling case for why those were defendable. Mm-hmm. But exactly. Go- and so that's why when we look at places like Singapore or Taiwan, they, they have imposed those kinds of um, laws where they can, you know, use people's location data and stuff like that. And and they've responded. I mean, South Korea had a big bump, but I think it's gone down now and Singapore responded quite well. But but really, where, where I was concerned was, well, what happens when all this is over? Right, because governments at times, and probably more often than not, become comfortable with new controls. If you give power to someone, if you give them a chance to control something, and it goes pretty well, and you like having that control or that power, you become comfortable holding that. Mm-hmm. And definitely that a good argument could be made for gathering someone's health data because, you know, it could provide better research or um, it could help a government or health agency kind of get the jump on the next big virus because there probably will be another one at some point. Um, but it's it's all about a trade-off then because you're trading off really personal information. And I don't think most people realize that, especially if like they're wearing a, a smart watch that tracks, you know, their heartbeat or something. And that's really great and helpful for them. But um, if that was then being given to the government or even private agencies, um, that could that could have some pretty serious repercussions. And, and you're not, by the way, just in case anyone's wondering, uh, Brit is not talking about something in the abstract. There have been suggestions that this information, yes. that the, this technology exists, that the government could monitor all of our phones to prevent us from gathering because it can mm-hmm. use the GPS. This is not something, I mean, I'm defending you right now. You're not a paranoid, <laughs> crazy person. No. Who, this is this is something that exists and has in South Korea been done. So it, it's it's something that's very realistic that we're talking about right now yeah uh, in let me Singapore t- actually they would send um, patients or people that they thought were high risk um, as, as in they came in close contact with someone who had it they'd send them text messages um, they would call them and ask them to take photos of where they were to ensure that they were home and mm. they would use their um, GPS location data we got to take a break but that stuff is again it, it makes some sense right now but as soon as you open that door how do you close that door again You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're talking with Britt Morrison 
who has written a piece. You can find it at thespec.com. Again, I would encourage you to read it. It's very well worth your time. Let's not let civil liberties and privacy become victims of this pandemic. And Britt, let me bring up another line you wrote in this thing, because there's some great lines in this. Um, And it's talking about the downside, I guess. And that is privacy, this is what you said, privacy is important because information awards power. Increased surveillance takes power away from the individual and transfers it to the government organization or institution, which really comes to a lot of this. If we are allowing governments, voluntarily giving governments power to surveil us or to do things that at this moment might be very, very, very good, we, what do we need? We need to demand when this is over that that stop, or what do we do? Yeah, I think that you just would have to be vigilant um, and be careful about what kind of power um, through information uh, that you're giving the government because really our entire system is built on trust and it's fragile. And so if there ever comes a day where you know, people needed to, you know, not anything large, but maybe just like a little political activism, but, you know, it could easily be crushed. When I, I guess what I mean is the ability to have your own personal information is at its core, the only thing that you truly own now. And so if you award that to somebody else, you're giving that power And I always find it very ironic when people say, oh, come on, it's no big deal. I trust the government until Mm -hmm. that is until it's a government that you no longer trust. And then you've allowed because when I mean, giving your ability for this to to the government doesn't mean one particular political stripe. It means the government of the day, whoever that is. And so there are governments that you may trust and there's others that you may think will use your information improperly. You don't get to pick and choose which ones get the power. Exactly. And we're extremely lucky, of course, here in Canada. Um, But that doesn't mean that, you know, democracy isn't on trial lately with, you know, the rise of extremist groups. And, you know, just generally, there have been studies that have shown that people are, you know, disenchanted with the current political system. And so we, we have to be careful about those things. How do you then, though, this is the big question, I think, how do you guarantee or insist or enforce our government to relinquish any powers that it's taken? And I I mean, look, we're not going to, this is not the way we're going to be forever. No one's suggesting that, but there are things within what's happening now that could be very, you know, could slide through very easily that become part of, how do we make sure that governments give everything back because one thing we know from any government of any political stripe is once they have tools that they've been given they generally don't relinquish those easily right um you just i think just being vigilant and as citizens in a democracy our best tool is voting um right now voting rates in any sort of election are so low but Imagine the power of 100% of the population voting. That's a statement. and um, That's North Korea. That's really <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's not, not exactly the same thing you're talking about, I understand. No. Uh, are people being naive um, if they think that what we're talking about is overblown and paranoid? Um, no, I think people are being comfortable. Um, I don't think that like our democracy is going to fall around us this year or, or whatever. Um, but 
I don't think people realize, and understandably so, on a day-to-day basis, how much information they're providing. Uh, governments aside, if you imagine so, a police officer asking you for your fingerprint, um, you might be upset or I don't know, offended or some other negative reaction. But I mean, if you have an iPhone, you give them your fingerprint regularly. Right. Um, right. So you just we just have to be aware. And I'm not try- I don't want anyone to be paranoid, but just aware. And well, often we get so comfortable with technology and it's such a part of our lives that we we don't realize that it's actually taking something from us and sharing it with people that you don't know. And if we're talking also about private companies and maybe going to jurisdictions with laws that are not our own. And that's it too. It's not just government. I mean, we do give Apple, for example, I mean, so many people have iPhones. We give them so much information. We don't even think about it. And, you know, and and it's a great point you bring up. We've got to run, unfortunately. But I mean, you, we just had a story not that long ago, a year or two ago in Hamilton where carding was a big issue. Someone was stopped and their information was asked for because they may have been a minority or not. Well, we voluntarily are carded all the time by private companies in a sense, not exactly the same, but it's, it's similar. Yes. Yeah, it's similar. And you have to ask, uh, like, where is that information going? Exactly. Because if it's in the United States, then it's not under Canadian law. Let's not let civil liberties and privacy become victims of this pandemic. That is the headline on the piece by Britt Morrison. Go look it up. Uh, it's well worth your read. Britt, thanks for taking the time and doing this today. really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There are so many good stories in what's going on here as well. It's tough, of course. The times are tough and businesses are struggling and trying to figure out how to navigate this whole situation, especially with so many things closed and people can't get to businesses and on and on and on. But there are a lot of good stories. And I wanted to bring uh, attention to one of them in particular for a number of reasons, but in part because there are a few companies in this city that are so synonymous with Hamilton that have such a history in this city that when you think of them, you think of this city of Hamilton. And one of them is Kineski, which, of course, um, once upon a time uh, in the store on Barton Street, the store that's now gone, but uh, Pops Kineski, who uh, I think most people know the story, Pops Kineski was uh, a guy who made, well, he started... He made the first ever goalie pads. He was the guy who invented hockey goalie pads up in the second floor. There was a loft there, and he sewed the first pair up there, and that changed hockey. And uh, it became a very famous site. He became a famous guy. And Kaneski has been in the hockey business, the hockey equipment, the sports business for decades and decades and decades. Well, they were, and they still are, until this week when things changed a little bit. Joel Holtzman is one of the partners now, used to be with Kineski Sports, used to be the owner of Kineski Sports. Now he's a partner with Kineski Manufacturing. Uh, he joins me now. Joel, how are you today? Good. You, Scotty? I'm Thanks great. that introduction. That was great. Well, so you guys were, um, when did Kineski, just for some information here, for some background, when did Kineski stop making goalie pads? Uh, well, we stopped in 92, and then um, in... 2015, I partnered up with a couple of guys out of uh, London. Okay, and for and between 92 and 2015, you get, you were a retailer on Barton Street, yep, yep, solely. Yep, okay, yep. Um, and then 2015, you started. You got back into designing and making modern goalie equipment. 
Well, I don't design it. Uh, my partners they, do. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. The Kineski <laughs> name did. Yeah, the Kineski name, yeah. And how, uh, it, nowadays, there is so much competition. How did that, how was that going? Uh, you know what? It's tough out there because um, you're battling, the small guys are battling the big guys, mm. right? And uh, your pockets got to be a little deep, and if they aren't deep enough, uh, it's pretty tough. D- were there, uh, I mean, a generation ago, you talk to anybody in Hamilton who's, I don't know, what age, 40, Joel? Oh, uh, yeah, who, maybe earlier, yeah. Okay, th- mm. 35, 40. I mean, anybody of a certain age, they would remember Kineski pads. Probably a lot of them, if they were goalies in the city, owned a pair of Kineski pads. Yep. But again, there is probably a generation now that didn't have that. So it, has the name... Is there a new generation that knows the name, or is that a well, struggle? It's to starting, yeah. Starting, okay. What social media does a, a, a big thing. And, uh, uh, you know, when you when you put something on Facebook or Instagram, uh, people look at it and they go, oh, what's this place? Kineski, never heard of it. Then you tell them the history, or they read the history, and they they get it together, and they know. So you're you're still putting out pads, you're still pumping out equipment, yep. you're still doing all that stuff, and then this coronavirus thing starts. And uh, to take you back, I think it's really last Wednesday when this story that we're talking about starts. What happens last Wednesday? Well, last Wednesday, I guess uh, Mike and uh, Dave were talking up at up in London. Those are your partners. Yeah, partners, and uh, uh, you know they just said you know they, um, there's a shortage of of masks and. Uh, I wonder if we could build any of those. So uh, Mike and Dave put their head together and whipped one up in about uh, 15 minutes, and huh. uh, that's history. So if, if they make one in 15 minutes just with parts that were lying around in the shop? Yeah, just, yeah, some plastic and some foam and some elastic, yeah, some screws, away you go. Not Not very many pieces to it. No. No, not really, no. Okay, so they, they come up with this on Wednesday. Then uh, Friday, you guys have a conversation about it. And what's that conversation about? What does well, it go like? a conference call, um, all of us, all, all the partners. And I um, uh, thought, let's see if we can get these going. And next thing you know, 10 minutes later, we got an order for 8,000 of them. <laughs> and uh, hopefully... Uh, That's zero to 100. That's yeah. zero to 100 yeah. rather quickly. Yeah. yeah. But you guys have a very small shop, and you're making these by hand. Yeah, it's not that small of a shop, but yeah, it's it, we are making them by hand. And uh, um, you know what? I think everybody else makes them by hand also, like... Uh, you know, you get a, a, a cutter to punch the plastic out. You get someone to put the screws in, put the put the foam on the lid, and uh, away you go, right? But uh, um, it's all uh, a lot of manual labor to it. Yep. And when I say small shop, I mean like I think you said there were five guys that worked there. Yeah, there. Yeah, we have five people working there right now. Mm-hmm. So you've got an order for eight thousand. It takes like five or six minutes to make each one. I mean, that's that's already sounding like a uh, a ton of work. Uh, actually, we've got it down to. I was talking to Mike today, and he's got it down to about three minutes. All right, all right. <laughs> and the and how much? So these things, the idea behind these, these are not um, obviously they're not cloth masks for nurses or dog, they're they're the no, like they're a spray the plastic shields and. Um, uh, with a foam uh, uh, headband on it, uh, with an elastic that goes around your head to hold it, and you can flip it up and flip it down. For use by who? Um, 
uh, food industry, nurses, doctors, dentists, um, anybody who doesn't want to get contaminated or get uh, anything spilled. And when you first heard about this, was there a thought? You know, I know Bauer has already been out doing yep, something Bauer, like this. Uh, yep. Was there a thought, though, that was there a question about whether there was even more of a market for this? Uh, there's, there's a shortage, big time. So there was no doubt that you were going to find buyers for this? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yep. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. One of the best known, most synonymous with Hamilton companies in this city, Kineski, Kineski Sports, the creator of the goalie pad once upon a time, Pops Kineski, uh, now pivoting for some period of time anyway into making masks, plastic masks, face shields uh, during this whole coronavirus thing. And it's the, the, the amazing part of the story to me, in addition to the fact that it's not hockey at all, is that this thing happened so unbelievably fast. Last Wednesday was the prototype, Friday was a meeting, and now they've got thousands of them being produced for sale. Joel Holtzman is one of the partners with now with Kineski Manufacturing, formerly owner of Kineski's. Uh, Joel, I should have asked you this. Pops Kineski made the first goalie pads what year? Uh, 1924. All right, so we're talking, well, let's say 100, let's round it to 100 years. Yep. In the 100 years... Has Kineski's ever made anything other than sports equipment prior to this? Mm, yeah, he used to make um, billy clubs for the uh, police department. Really? Yep. <laughs> what, whittle them down out of wood? No. Or on a lathe? No, uh, it'd be uh, a lead. Lead? Spring oh. on them. Oh, yeah. And uh, packed with K-Pock and then uh, a leather coating put over them, sewn and uh, with a strap on it so you could hide it up your sleeve and uh, anybody got out of, uh, uh, got into trouble or needed a hand, bang, this thing came out and you'd whack someone with it and they'd be out cold. Well, I can't believe that the billy clubs once upon a time had horse hair in them. Yep. No, not horse hair, K-Pock. K-Pock, okay. Isn't that the same? Well, no, K-Pock's a a flower. Oh, okay. Uh, It's like a cotton. Oh, soften the blow a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> Not really. <laughs> uh, so when when you um, when you have this meeting on Friday, this this conference call, and you guys all sit down, and even though you uh, think that you're going to maybe find a market because there's a demand for these masks, uh, any element of surprise when, like, almost immediately after, you get an order for eight thousand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a big surprise. How much? You, the- you know what? Then you're scrambling. You're going, holy cow! How how am I going to do this? You know, or uh, we need this, we need that, we need this, we need that. And because this is not all material that you would normally have in the shop. It's not stuff you would no, normally no, work with. No, 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 not at all. So how do you find it? Because every so many places are oh, shut my, down. Yeah, or lots of connections. Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, but is the plastic from, would you have gone to the same place that makes masks, like hockey yeah, no, visors? No, or? I just go to a plastic company. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you still at the same time? Are you still still doing hockey equipment, or has that been put oh, yeah, off for a no. while? Yeah, we haven't put anything on the shelf there. We're still busy that way, but uh, people understand, and uh, it's kind of neat uh, uh, how people band together. And you know what? Don't worry about uh, my stuff. You do what you have to do. Uh, you know. Well, they can't play anyway, right now, right? No, so they can't I mean, play anywhere, well. 
nowhere in Canada can you play right now anyway, so. You told me earlier today that these things were going for six bucks a pop, which don't honestly, now, I, I mean, I have no idea, but it doesn't sound like if you're making profit off this, it doesn't sound like you're making much over cost. No, we're not. No, we're doing it more for, uh, more for, for the, for the need. Will there be, uh, will there be more need for this? I mean, you've, so you've had this eight yeah, order for 8,000. You, you know, as, as well as I do, you know, I don't even, uh, who knows if this thing's peaked yet. Right. But so, you, you were saying today that there could have been another order coming potentially. Oh yeah. We got, uh, yeah, well, let's cross our fingers and see what happens there. But, uh, that's a big one. So we'll have to wait and see. How many could you possibly handle with the staff you have? How many could you put out in the next month or so? Well, I was talking to Mike about that today, and uh, he thinks we could do uh, uh, get a hundred thousand out in a month. <laughs> and then everyone in the shop will be off with carpal tunnel syndrome oh, yeah, for a for while. Sure. <laughs> um, you uh, you told me something that I was shocked by, and that is that you're not putting the Kineski logo on this no. anywhere. Why not? No, because we don't. You know what? No, we don't need to boast ourselves. No. Are any of the others? Uh, we're in there helping everybody, man. You gotta, you gotta give praise to the the nurses and the doctors and the, the, the PSWs and you know right down the line. But isn't know? this an opportunity to really have people know about the Kineski brand? Yeah, yeah, but no. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no. Well, no, good for you guys. No. I mean, good for you guys no. for doing this. No. Yeah, well, you know what? Um, it's kind of funny. Um, uh, Brian's Manufacturing, they make goalie equipment. Yep. Vaughn, they make goalie equipment. Bauer, they make goalie equipment. And Kineski, we make goalie equipment. We're all doing stuff for the for the industry, for the for the medical industry. So it's uh, it's kind of cool. Well, you know what? I mean, I know you're not doing it for this reason, but I absolutely hope that everybody, like with everybody who's doing stuff, I hope people remember these things when things get back to normal. And I know this is not the reason you're doing it, and I know this isn't the reason the other ones are, but you know what? These are times that I think people need to make a mental note of who is stepping up, and um, and that's you guys. And, and I appreciate you doing that, and I appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk about it today, Joel. Thanks, Scott. And uh, I'd like uh, everybody to stay safe out there. Joel Hulsman from Kineski's. Appreciate it. Have a great night. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH, who I think got out of the house for a few minutes today to uh, to do the news, to do the sports on CHCH, and now he's probably heading right back to self-quarantine, correct? Well, it's 11, 11 o'clock, the newscast to do. Okay? That's true. I forgot. Yes. Well, <laughs> you know, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, um, and I don't know if this is the socially right thing to say at this point, especially when we, and even at this station, and I know along with yours and your newspaper, are promoting uh, physical distancing, and, and of course, um, perhaps maybe the most important thing is just to stay in your home, but um, I'm happy to be going to work every day. Um, I think it just... Well, just considering the, the alternative, a lot of people can't, so yeah. Well, well I, I mean, not even for the employment factor. I'm just talking about, you know, because I, I'll, I'll compare it to my weekends, which I feel like are dreadful. I, I've, I'm tremendously bored. Uh, I don't know if I want to watch any more series. Uh, <laughs> the sports options that are out there are defi- definitely classic stuff that I've probably seen not only the first time but several times previously. 
Um, so I'd rather be working. <laughs> you uh, you clearly weren't watching the same sports that I was watching last night. Then I had I had reached I have reached a new level of desperation for anything competitive. I was, I'm not making this up even. I wish I was. I was watching marble racing last night. Yeah, I, I saw that. I saw that. I can't, I can't, no, I, I can't even go there. Um, I, I, I didn't know. I hoped I couldn't go there, but somehow I, my finger on the button stopped for a while and I was watching a few marble races and kind of cheering for a particular marble team, yeah, which I, really was sad. I thought I saw on TSN2, I believe it's in Belgium, I've been in Brussels, where they're lining up streetcars, and it's like a bowling competition. Each pin has a particular amount of points, and it's a giant ball. So the streetcar drivers drive their particular buses or streetcars into it, and you know you get enough touch to knock down the pins. And I don't know if that was a tape product or if that's what's going on right now, but all I know is that it was on sports television. <laughs> oh. It is, uh, these are desperate times. These are desperate times. The other thing I watched on the weekend, which uh, I think, Bubba, the last time, uh, first of all, the answer was I watched some of, I think it was WrestleMania 30. They replayed it. The last time I watched wrestling on television, I think Coco Beware was still active and Junkyard Dog and Million Dollar Man. I mean, it's been a long time since I watched any kind of wrestling. And it put it this way, it was so long ago that in this WrestleMania 30 that I was watching the replay of, they had a bunch of the old timers together now looking all kind of gray and kind of gimpy and kind of haggardly. And those are all the guys that I was watching last time I watched wrestling. Ricky Steamboat and Sergeant Slaughter and all those guys. So It's It's funny you say that uh, in our Back in Time segment that I, I run daily now. Um, yesterday was the 30-year anniversary of WrestleMania VI, which was the first time it was ever held in international outside of the United States. And was, was that Toronto? At, yeah, that was the brand-new Sky Dome at that time. That was Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan, right? Ultimate, yeah. That was the, that was the passing of the torch. Hulk Hogan, after several years, like m- multiple years, uh, lost his title uh, to the Ultimate Warrior in a shocker. It was also Andre the Giant's final match. Hmm. Uh, Mr. Perfect lost his first ever match. He was a smart, uh, you know, studded event, you know, that uh, it lasted over three and a half hours. But one of the things that we're trying to get to is the, when I look at the, at the actual 36 wrestlers, competitors that were in that, participated in that card, 42, well, I guess it works out to 16, 15 of them are now no longer with us. Well, I will tell you a funny story because the very first, well, I think it's funny. The very first WrestleMania uh, was the the main event was Hulk Hogan and Mr. T Mm -hmm. against Rowdy Roddy Piper and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, (laughs) which is really sad that this is somewhere locked in my brain that I knew this. Anyway, years ago, my wife and I, who have now been married almost 27 years, we were Early on in our marriage, I think it was our first year or second year married, we took a last-minute club trip to Florida, and we're in the Orange Blossom Mall, and I'm walking along, and I point to her, and I went, that's Mr. Wonderful. And (laughs) she, of course, has no idea what I'm talking about and is now concerned that why am I pointing to a guy and calling him Mr. Wonderful? Anyway, Paul Orndorff was there. Uh, I believe he's gone now, I believe he, but he was on this replay. He was one of the guys who was there looking 
quite old. Anyway, this is it's all very sad that this is what we have been reduced to watching now is old WrestleManias and marble racing. Well, you know, and it's going to be real interesting. Two things that I think that are going to be very interesting, at least from a sporting perspective, that I think a lot of eyes are going to are, are curious about is one WrestleMania 36. I guess it will be with no crowd. With no crowd <laughs> in, in I think two or three locations with again no crowd will be held over two days this weekend. Um, I'm going to predict that they're going to have surprisingly good pay-per-view numbers here, or at least people signing up to the WWE Network because you can watch it in that fashion either. Uh, Yeah, Um, I think you're right. I think they will get good numbers. There's that, and also tomorrow is the debut of the 16-player NBA 2K tournament, a single elimination tournament that will run for eight days. Each, Each day has a different match. And it's not featuring, you know, the normal NBA 2K players. It's the actual NBA players squaring off against each other. And that is going to be broadcast not on, like, ESPN 10, ESPN. And I would presume that TSN will probably pick it up. And I would assume that all the players have to play as themselves, which makes me really want to see them bring in 12 other guys to be in a separate separate tournament who are, like, like, 14th player on a roster. Whose guy has a score of two on, <laughs> and see how they play as themselves. That would be great. Um, yeah. So anyway, a lot of things, a uh, lot of stuff that we're not watching, and uh, it's pretty sad right now. The, I want to get to something though. A lot. I think it's a lot more serious in the world of sports, only because of the possibilities now. And it's a piece that Steve Milton wrote in the Spec today. And apparently, we all know that Hamilton has been, there's a group that's in Hamilton that's been dis- in discussions about hosting the 2030 Commonwealth Games. And now, apparently, Commonwealth Games, uh, Commonwealth Sport Canada, which oversees the Commonwealth Games in Canada, has, we are told, come to the organizers and said, hey, would you consider hosting the 2026 Commonwealth Games, if not 2030? Uh, it, it, Am I wrong by thinking, I mean, look, the 2030 games under the current circumstances with what's happening, I don't know that we're going to get a dime from any level of government these days, because when this whole thing ends, we're going to be so far in the hole with debt and deficit that I don't know that any government is going to give anything to stump something like this. But to do the 2026 games, I'm like, that that would be crazy, right? And I'm with you. I mean, if we're debating about building something, you know, in terms of infrastructure for the city as in a, you know, a monorail or, you know, light rapid transit. And and we're we're back and forth on that. What makes you think that we should have the Commonwealth Games here? And again, this is a sportscaster speaking here. And I know that, you know, way back when this was, you know, brought up that you and I had a discussion on this and I'll I'll maintain where I was before. Uh, I, I don't see the need for the Commonwealth Games to be played in Hamilton. And I know that probably disappoints a lot of people that I'm actually saying that because, yes, there will be an economic boom. Uh, there will probably be some infrastructure that, structure that will be built. Uh, it could be good for some of our minor league programs as well, too. But, again, we're in, we're in a crisis here. We're, we're not, we're, I mean, and, and that's how I felt back then. But adding to your point, to where we are right now and what monies are being spent and, you know, and what monies we need to save for, you know, the next two months, three months, six months, we don't know. Uh, Going ahead and spending what will be, and I'm sure Steve knows the number or at least the estimate, 
better than I do, millions, maybe even billions of dollars uh, for an event that I'm going to say this, that's second class to the Olympics, or at least seen by some as second class. Oh, I, I don't think anyone would dispute that it's 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 levels below the Olympics. I don't think anyone's going to dispute that. Right. Like, like, are we are do are we that desperate to wave the flag for Hamilton for that particular reason? Um, I'm going to say no. I'm I th- not on board. I, see, I don't know that. Well, I don't know how many people are thinking about holding this right now. It's not being really positioned very much as a flag waving thing. It's being positioned mostly as a, hey, we could get new facilities that we desperately need in this city. Which I, I can get on board with that idea. We do need a new pool. Jimmy Thompson Pool and, and the pool at McMaster are very outdated. We do need new facilities. But the, there's a new pool in McMaster coming being built right now, is there not? Or well, it's almost completed? No, no, no. That's the new faci- uh, fitness center. The pool is on the other side, and they're still trying to talk and trying to make that happen, but it's okay. not there yet. The The challenge with this, though, while I agree that those facilities could be very useful, in light of what's happening right now, as I say, I don't think you're getting a dime of public money because, as I say, I, I'm going to go back and reiterate it. I mean, every level of government right now is just swirling in debt and deficit with all the stuff they've had to do to try and keep the economy afloat. And furthermore, I don't know how much private sector money is going to be floating around because so many places that you might have thought you would have been able to tap into may also be having trouble right now. I, I think we would be really, really risking a gigantic problem if we were to say, sure, we can do the games in five years or six years from now. That that to me is, I mean, 10 years from now is a huge stretch in my mind. Five years from now or six years from now would be, wow, I, I don't know how you could make that case. And again, adding to the point, I mean, even if there were things to be built in the city to help um, out some of the venues, how on earth are we prepared to have something like that? I mean, you know, I would presume that the epicenter would be Tim Hortons Field. I mean, are we going to have maybe? Are we going to have people parking on people's lawns for a world class event? But I don't know that it could be Tim Hortons Field because you can't do track and field in there. It's not big enough for a four hundred meter track. So you would have to have some other temporary stadium somewhere. I think. I think I stand to be corrected on that one. I, no one's going to build a new permanent facility, but I, I think it would have to be temporary. Yeah, anyway, that's... The whole, uh, thing, the whole thing just seems... Um, well, it seems like everything has been thrown into flux right now, and suddenly something that may you may have been able to make a pretty good case for at some point with the facility side, anyway, I, I don't know how you do that now. I just think games like this, Scott, are, are at the very least break-even events, and uh, we I don't, I don't even think we need a break-even event in the city at this point, even if it is in 2026. Because the planning has to start at least two, at least two years prior. Oh, more, more, the, and more, obviously, to 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 starting the games and and that kind of money spent on sport. Again, I'm a sportscaster. I love sports. I'll watch anything. I mean, I'm going to watch NBA video games <laughs> on TV tomorrow, right? But in this city, in this situation, in this current crisis that we're in, and whatever long-lasting effect it is going to have. Uh, I think you need to position yourself yeah. uh, in a win-win situation, not a rolling-the-dice situation. And I feel badly for the people who have invested so much time and effort into this because they didn't see this coming. Nobody did, but it has really, Excellent really point. thrown a giant stink bomb into the middle of everything. Absolutely. I mean, we got to 
Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I'm just thinking, you know, even a, even a place that is already hosted, and we'll, I'll take it a step le- a higher with the Olympics, a, a place like Calgary, which I just came back from, obviously, with the Grey Cup, and I got my first real scope of the city and, and some of the venues and a lot of the things that are going on in that city and the feel for the city. Even they, who have host, hosted a very successful Winter Games, turned down hosting another Olympic Games. Well, they are, they, the people who have been behind this group in Hamilton that have been pitching the Commonwealth Games have made a very strong point, and they've been very consistent, that this is not, this was not, this is not, I don't know what tense you want to use now, uh, something that was going to rely heavily on public money. They've made the point that they were going to, they believed they could make this a largely private sector thing. And, and that's, well, a lot of it. I mean, there would be grants and there would be other things, but you know, these are like, look, we saw uh, there have been Commonwealth games and Olympic games where by the time you get around to the actual budget, it's three times the amount. There's no way the public around here is going to have an appetite for someone to say, this will be a billion dollars. And then all of a sudden it comes back as 3 billion. There's no way that we would have an appetite for that. So, but uh, even if you can make the case that you could have a month ago, said I could make the case that we think we can do this on private sector and ticket revenue and broadcast revenue and advertising revenue and all these things because we have existing facilities. I don't know that you can make that case with any kind of certainty right now. I just don't. Uh, you know, maybe it, maybe if there's an option of spreading it out the games, and I'm talking about venues, I mean, I'm talking as far as Niagara Falls, Fort Erie, maybe straight into Toronto, where nothing needs to be built again, and we use existing things that are out there and still call it the Commonwealth. But that Games defeats Hamilton. the purpose of why, uh, that's, that, that defeats the purpose, I think, of why a lot of people in this city wanted the games, which was right. to improve our infrastructure. Right. Because well, I, I, I don't know, and I could be way off, I don't know how many people, like you said a few minutes ago, are saying, I got to go see Commonwealth Games Badminton. I mean, I don't know how many people are in that, but I think a lot of people are of the opinion that if we can get this stuff and it's not going to cost us much and we can improve our infrastructure, great. But then that eliminates the point you just made that I would be on board with that too. If we can not build anything, but then the point, then the purpose is gone. Right. I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be a, uh, it's going to be a fascinating one because they have to make a decision according to Steve's piece reasonably soon if it's going to be the 2026 one. And I don't know how anybody can make a decision right now about anything. We don't know. We don't know what the world is going to look like when right. we're all allowed back out of our houses. Well, you know my stance, and 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 I might. And you're right. And minus COVID nineteen, maybe I might have been pulled to the other side. But based on the way I see the world right now, and and I believe me, you know me well. You know me for many years. I am uh, an optimist. I like to look at the happy side of life. And um, what I'm seeing right now, what I'm hearing from our premier and our prime minister and, of course, other world situations, and, of course, I work at a news agency, so I see a lot of stuff that maybe other people don't see. Uh, I don't think this is a time for games. I'll tell you who's not playing games. This has got nothing to do with sports, but I just came across this story. <laughs> the president of the Philippines, uh, Philippines, who we all know is a bit of a a loose cannon to begin with. Um, he, he's been a guy who said a lot of things. In recent, anyway, he has just come out publicly and said, anyone in the Philippines who disagree, who disobeys my edict to stay in your house, I've instructed our police to shoot to kill. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that, that, maybe that's what the mayors around here have to do. If you step out of your house, <laughs> we have snipers on all the roofs. 
and we will uh, and we will take uh, that's um he, he he's he's an interesting dude this guy well i mean this is making a lot of people very emotional i mean even in his daily you know press conferences there's been a couple of times where we see justin trudeau a little more steamed than i've ever seen him before i think he's just having a bad beard day and he's come out cranky because the beard is itchy <laughs> I think he coughed today, and people were very concerned. Uh, You know what? He's been in self-quarantine now for 17 weeks. I think he's probably safe. (laughs) I think there's nobody in the world safer than Justin Trudeau. He he leaves his press conference and goes right back into his hydroponic bubble and stays there until his next press conference. There's not a germ that could have touched that man. I have often wondered, when he turns around and walks up those five stairs and goes, what's behind those doors? Well, it, it's it's just it's a front. It's like a Hollywood place. It's just it's just wood behind there. They put him in. They put him in a hydroponic bubble, and they drive him back to his storage facility, where he stays until the next day's press conference. You know, the, the, the door closing. It's like, oh, thank God, that's over. Ah, <laughs> uh, so many things. Times. So many things. So many things. Hey, Bubba, appreciate it. Always appreciate you doing this. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for the laugh. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.